Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. I think I mentioned it last week, uh, but if I didn't, doesn't matter. I'm going to mention it now. New issue is up. The September issue is up. And my conversation with the one and only Deb Coletti, who I've talked to her a bunch, do love her. Uh, she's got a new book out, A Heart in a Body in the World. Very timely book, very personal book to her. She's written a bunch of them, but this one's getting a ton of buzz. And we talked about that and about her own journey and uh what it means to be a part of this sort of Me Too movement. It's a great conversation. Check it out. Deb, always a wonderful person to talk to. So glad to have her. Got to see her lovely home here in Seattle. It's a great conversation. Check it out at authormagazine.org.org. And you know, we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Okay. The conference, I talk about it all year. Well, the conference is actually happening. It's uh, going to start the 13th of September. So it's just as of this recording, just a couple, just a week away, really. And I'll be there. I'm going to be teaching just one class on uh, the personal essay, the art of the personal essay. But I'll be there doing a bunch of stuff, as will a bunch of people. Donald Moss is doing a master class. Uh, Vogler, is it Peter? Chris, Chris Vogler, is that his name? Hero's Journey guy. He's going to be there. Uh, uh who else? Uh, Nancy Pearl. That's right. The one and only the rock star librarian is going to be there to talk about her book. She's going to be on a panel. We all kinds of classes, whether you're published, self-published, new, experienced, doesn't matter. Pacific Northwest Writers Conference is a great place to meet other writers. And I'll be there, like I said. So come on over and uh, say hello. And actually, speaking of conferences, uh, in October, October, well, it starts, the conference actually starts on the 5th, but if you're in Seattle area, I'm going to be at Right on the Sound, a smaller conference up in Edmonds, where on the 7th of uh, October, I'm going to be teaching Fearless Marketing. Yes, I will. So if you're going to make that conference, check it out. Come on over. Say hello. Like I said, all right, listen, I've been wanting to have this guy on the show. Or we've been planning to have this guy on the show for a while, and he is now Gary Gawk. Fascinating guy. He's an author, translator, editor, teacher, and poet. And his work has been translated into many languages and has appeared in anthologies and numerous periodicals. He serves on the International Advisory Panel of the Buddhist Channel, a Malaysian Buddhist news website. He's got a new book out, just out now, Pause, Breathe, Smile. Good advice, I think, for anyone. Gary, welcome to the show. Bill, pleasure to be here. Well, it's good to have you on. I was thinking about, I was thinking about, uh, thinking about you and your work that you do, what I know of it, and I was reminded of, I was teaching this workshop once, uh, and it was it was just a kind of a craft workshop uh, at a at a writers conference. I think it was on why we show and don't tell. So I don't know, but for some right. reason, some guy came up to me afterwards, and he said, "Hey." You're a Buddhist. I said, I am. He huh? said, yeah, I think you are. <laughs> he said something about non-attachment. And I said, you know what? That's fine. If you say I'm a Buddhist, I'll take it. So maybe we'll start there. Uh, you've written a lot of books, one of which I believe is The Complete Idiot's Guide to Understanding Buddhism. Is that, am I getting it right? Guilty as charged. Okay. So Buddhism, let's just maybe start there. Uh, well, okay. 
Would you like? Um, is that is that something? What's the question? <laughs> so the question is, when did you say this is interesting to me? Yeah. I uh, I think I'm, I want to learn more about this. Unless you were, as you were weaned on it, maybe, or is this something you found on your own? You mean how did I come to Buddhism? Yeah, how'd you come to it? What, what did I you was wake up waiting to if this would be the question you would ask me because I hoped it was. Okay, well, you know. it's been asked. Um, w- when I came to Buddhism, there were more uh, Buddhas sitting behind glass cases in museums than living <laughs> teachers on cushions talking to people. Right. This was, you know, like around when the Pacific Writers was founded in 1955. <laughs> to put it in context, okay. Yeah, and right. and to put it in context, that's around the same season in my life when I came to writing. Oh. So for yeah. me, whenever people ask me about one, I can always explain it in terms of the other. Like, yeah. well, tell me about Buddhism. I say, well, it's like writing. You know, it's it's easy to write on a sunny day. It's harder to write on a rainy day. So if you're going to practice sitting, you know, Zen, it's easy sometimes, but it's the times when it's not easy that's where it counts. Yeah. Oh, or vice yes. versa. You know, if you want to understand writing, it's like Zen. Yeah. It's easy to sit a lot of times, but times that it's not, is where we're putting the pedal to the metal in terms of really actualizing for ourselves. Why am I doing this? <laughs> you know? Right. So anyway, so that's, that's sort of like my origin story that I rarely get to talk about. So I'm, I appreciate the questions. Well, it's fascinating to me that these two things came to you at the same time. I, I, I did not really have a spiritual practice, I thought, and then once I sort of, once I decided I did and I really became yeah. conscious of it, I thought, oh, but writing has been that right. since I was a boy. Because I, writing was always the thing for me going back to when I was a little pup. But uh, I didn't recognize it as that until I started getting conscious of what I, what I thought of as spirituality. And uh-huh. it, doesn't, it makes perfect sense to me that the two things could happen at once for a person because I think, I think, it's yeah. it is a is a day it is as daily a practice as meditation or prayer. Right. That's my experience of it. I don't know if did you see writing that way when you were doing it, or did you see them as separate at first, thinking, well, this is cool and I'm into this, or did you see them as well? No, I as saw them happening? as separate. You know, I yeah. saw them as separate because I, you know, still, as I still am transforming myself from the kind of being that sees everything as separate. You know, that's what our ego right. does. Our ego says, no, no, this is this and this is that, and everything should be in neat little ice cube trays right. rather right. than seeing that everything is all water and that I'm just a drop in the ocean. And writing and Zen and life aren't three separate things. You know, what? so Why at the time think? I thought they were kind of, you know, but I, they, they, you know, now looking back, I can easily say, no, they were the same. But then, no, not really. No, they were just, they were just, you were two things you were interested in. And, and writing itself, how did that, uh, you know, so I've interviewed, I don't know how many, yeah, hundreds, a lot, hundreds and hundreds. And, you know, and the average age is nine. Like that's when huh. a lot of people look up. Yeah, that's just about. But there's plenty of examples. I know people much later than that. So well, I wrote were, my first finished poem 
when I was 11. Oh, all right. And it, it was called Return Trip. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it was something like, the world of the young is themselves. Themselves. Uh, it ended something like, why do I feel calm with my shirt pulled over my head? <laughs> I mean, I was, it was a kind of a metaphysical poem. Yeah. When I was like 11. That way. Yeah. Huh? That's pretty cool. And I was already <laughs> writing. You know, I was... I was so for me, my dad had a bookcase, and he said, and it's a kind of a European thing that I don't know is common in yeah. every American house. He said he had a fairly, you know, literate bookcase, and he waved his hand over it one day. He took me to it, actually. We we didn't just happen to be standing there. He said, "Son, come here," and he right. took me to the bookcase. He waved his hand over. It. He said, "Son, any book on my shelf, any book on my shelf, feel free to take it and read it." Like, oh my God. Right. You know, I'm looking uh-huh. at, you know, Shakespeare and right. Balzac and you know. and there were these little thin Peter Popper press books of haiku. Haiku? Yeah. And my you? dad might, you know, because my dad served in overseas and as yeah. many of these guys, they were in Japan. He was in Korea and so forth. And he had a fondness for Asian culture, East Asian culture. Yeah. And I just. You know, it was like falling down a bottomless well. I remember one that was um, scooping the moon up in a wooden pail. I splashed it across the summer lawn. Scooping the moon up in a wooden pail and splashing it across the summer grass. You know, I'm like, wow. I didn't need to know that the moon represents the mind or any of that stuff. I just was like so resonant. And, and, you know, I teach haiku, but you can't, you can't really teach haiku. But right. when I do, and I'm given kids, it's like, oh, it's like pouring water into water. Kids get it. Kids, kids get it. You know, they just, they're there. And, yeah. and so for me, when I tell people, you know, I got into Buddhism because I had this vision, and I explained this vision that I had of the interdependence of all things. And, well, this is the same time I'm writing haiku. It's like it's not hard to explain that kids are basically, you know, it's like we get tricked into adulthood at some point, but some of us don't. Yeah, no, true. Some of us don't buy it. Right. (laughs) So we learn to be adult, and we learn, you know, uh, deportment and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, when I teach adults writing, um, I – one of the first things I have to un- help them unlearn is that that uh, is the concept of hard work. That when you're writing, you know you're doing it right. At least my experience is when I find the effortless path forward. That that's sort of my guide to let uh-huh. me know when I'm forcing things. It's it's going in the wrong direction. It's the wrong word, huh. and so on. And uh-huh. so you should be enjoying yourself. Like if you're depressed, you're probably thinking about it wrong. And for a lot of adults, like the concept of hard work, of putting your nose to the grindstone, and tongue, mm-hmm. like that's how you're supposed to get the bills paid. And the, 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 the. and so it does ask them to drop this whole idea of, of, of a, one kind of discipline, I should say, and to return to the playground a little bit. It's a it's discipline a like bondage and discipline, right? Well, it means there's <laughs> discipline of thought, and then there's discipline of like I'm going to do this whether I'm right, going to get my right. foot in the no, chair right. or yeah. something. Yeah. You know, it's no good. So you were so all right. So you were oriented this way towards poetry. It sounds like from uh, early age, this was interesting to you. But when did you start writing it in a kind of uh, 
in a, I don't want to say serious way, but a way where you say, I want to learn how to do this and I want to get better at it and I want to understand it uh, on a regular basis. When did that begin? Oh, 11. So really, by that time I had read between 8 and 11, you know, I was reading the books of my father's shelves and finding, running into Kenneth Patchen, you know, who was, I think, a Pacific Northwest writer at the time. Kenneth okay. Patchen. Right. And uh, Robinson Jeffers, who was Southern California, Carmel. Uh, just, you know, these influences. Also, I got to admit, you know, reading the Bible and reading the Bible in Hebrew. You know, in Hebrew? Tremendous, tremendous influence. How Although so? the Hebrew didn't come till I was 13. How, how, anyway, how yeah, I mean, I think at some level you kind of start copying stuff. Like, I want to do that. Sure. And then eventually you find your own voice. Although I'm, I really have no idea when people say, oh, I love your writing. I say, oh, really? What do you like about it? Because I don't know what my voice is. I have a few little hints that I sometimes kind of pull out of my sleeve. Can you can you the difference, though, between when you're – I mean, in terms of when you're, something is flowing naturally and when you're trying to – Oh. I assume at this point you're not putting on airs anymore, but you're maybe trying a little too hard. Can you tell the difference with that? Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting because I'm, I'm I had that this week. Um, oh really? Uh, I I can't in the process. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can say, "Oh, you're overthinking. Oh, you're forcing." But even when I think I'm letting it flow and I think I know what I'm doing, I don't often. It for me. <laughs> It's my twelfth revision when I go, ah, this is what it is. No. Because I I I don't I don't have an intent I have an intent of what I'm feeling or I want somebody what I want somebody else to feel or think or understand, but I'm not quite sure what is the appropriate way to do that right. in this particular right. instance. And each instance is different. Yep. Yep. So, um, I mean, it's to me, it's like, you know, 98% perspiration, 2% inspiration. Right. Well, and the sense of trying to force it, even though I can probably let it flow more easily than I used to. And with this current book, it was a large, it was a large contribution of that, of allowing just you know, I had an outline and I'd let it flow, and then oh, maybe I had to change the outline because the flowing is going in a different direction. Okay, and I played with that a lot actually with yeah. this book, which was well, a delight. Let's talk. Um, about I think, this book. but to answer your question, now that I'm kind of like marinating in it, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm going to answer it in terms of like Taoism and Zen. Okay. You know, it's like. I used to be interested in Zen. I wanted to do Zen. I wanted Taoism in my life. I wanted to do Taoism. I, you know, I uh-huh. wanted Taoist things, <laughs> you know, like, right. you know, like I think most people in the, in the beginning often do. And now I'm in a position where I am available for Tao to do one, rather than one doing Tao. Tao does <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. And, and that isn't something I can say, Bill. Yes, I do that. And yes, right. I can always do that. No, the thing is, now that I understand that, it's always a challenge that each time I do 
the writing process that I say, well, what what is it going to be like this time? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. How is it going to flow? You know. You know and at some like, level, you want it. You want to have some kind of, you know, you know what you want it to be before you do right. it, even though that changes. Sure. Well, you have to have some kind of a concept, some vague destination in mind. Although, you know, one of the, I, I tell my students that I'll, I'll go for a walk or something. I'll have a little idea for an essay, or I write a lot of short essays. And I'll have an idea like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. That's good. I can do that. And because a lot of them are like four and five paragraphs long, I can almost compose them in my head. But I've learned yeah. to say, they did it. Don't do that, Bill, because one sentence can come. And the whole thing can change direction. And really, you don't know if the idea is what you want it to be until you're at the blank page, until you, your imagination gets involved, your muse, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. then you see. And then you see. So I've had to teach myself to be, to be uh, not too impressed with my own ideas until I actually get there and see what happens. Because sometimes something totally different will happen. That is, and if that's what shows up, I've got to follow it. If I'm usually. No, I'd say almost always do I follow it. Do I not try to follow what the, is being presented to me? But well, you I am your follower, Bill. Oh, well, thank you. Sir. So <laughs> let's talk about uh, pause, breathe, smile. Let's just talk about where it started. Like what is the, huh. what is the beginning thought that says this, this thought is going to be a book? Can you, can you know, remember that's, that? Yeah, it's interesting. I spent five years and now 12 drafts later, and, Pete, and you're the first person to ask me that <laughs> besides myself because I've right. now – I'm no longer in that horror, that vertical Y axis that's solitary and boring down deep, yeah, deep yeah. into constructing this manuscript. And I'm confronting this horizontal level of all different kinds of people. And I'm outside of the book now. I'm no longer inside of it. Yeah. And now I can begin to think maybe I can understand. It's like Kierkegaard says, you have to live life forward and understand it backwards. Yep. So yep. looking back now, I can see more about what I was doing. Originally, it was like this, Bill. I okay. was writing, and I stopped. You know, I just picked up a piece of paper. I was writing something. Right. And I was doing it just sort of like, oh, I want to write this down like you wanted to remember a dream, and I just wrote it down. Yeah. And then I looked at it, and I said, you know, that looks like it could be the outline of a book. Huh. And what I said that say? with a little trepidation because, you know, I don't really want to write a book every day. You know, it's that's right. a fierce kind of fearless task to do. But I saw, yeah, this was. And I saw that there was a need for it. And I, uh, so I started doing it. Now that I'm kind of done, I'm, and I guess during the process, I was also realizing that about three years earlier when I was um, ordained into Zen. Uh-huh. Uh, I was asked uh, by one of the, the uh, officiants, uh, I was introduced to a woman, a nun, a Buddhist nun who uh, works with lepers in Asia. And I was introduced as a person who wrote the complete uh, stupid, the Buddhism for stupid people. Right. The Idiot's Guide to Buddhism. Right. She said, this is Gary Gock, and he wrote a book called Buddhism for Stupid People. And then she looked at me, and she says, what are you going to do next? <laughs> yeah. And that really kind of like, because oh, during the whole retreat, I was given a koan, you know, something to study in my, right. open my heart, which was, where are you? 
And then the next one is, where are you going? What are you going to do next? And I think that as I was writing this one, I realized, yeah, this is probably the best, um, how shall I put it, um, container or vessel for the kind of uh, career I'd embarked upon by ordaining into Zen, which means uh-huh. making Zen my career, really. Right. Um, and then a third thing was um, there in around that time, let's say 2013, yeah, around the time I was writing it, there had begun to be backlash against mindfulness. Starting oh, yeah, yeah, by, I remember that. Yeah, yeah David yeah. Loy and Ron Persher wrote a thing in Huffington Post called McMindfulness. Yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, oh, my God, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Whatever you thought about it, I know people, you know, it's like, so my, I was ordained by the guy who wrote uh, Miracle of Mindfulness 40 years ago that introduced the word. Right. Yeah. So right. I was saying to one of the senior members of our order about this backlash, and they didn't know about it. And they were going like, oh, my God, what do they want to throw right. the baby out with the dishwater? Right, right, right. But, what, you know, as I learned more about what they were saying, I was hearing that there was something authentic in the sense that, that, that now is 40 years later, a time to reassess what have we done and what else could we do? What, what more can right. we do to kind of right. consolidate um, all the good stuff? And then use that as something solid to build further so all the things, some of the things, or many of the things that are being, uh, can be resolved. And so that's, that's, those three elements kind of played into it. And I guess of all of those, the, uh, the opportunity to use my practice and writing practice in a way that I'd never done before, was what I was saying, is like I had an outline that I wrote that morning. Oh, this is an outline for a book. I said when I saw it, but then allowing the writing to be, um, you know, fresh every day. So wait, so so th- this was a different approach in that it, you had a little outline. Do you normally not have little outlines? Well, no. Normally, I have a big outline. <laughs> big outline. So okay. I mean, I oh, just saw oh, there was I, a guy I went to junior high school with. You might have heard of him, James Elroy. Uh, yes. And uh, I just saw on the table of the bookstore the other day this new book of his is like you know it's 700 pages yeah yeah oh and wow. i'm sure the outline was 500 pages you know oh you think so you know what uh, you know they i would say that 40 percent of writers have just the smallest of outlines huh. that's about the and it's, it's the minority that have detailed outlines Nonfiction writers maybe a bit more but i don't outline i mean i only do it because editors want me to but i wouldn't if they didn't ask so I can't, I can't, it's all, I just can't do it. It just it gums up the works. So well, after you've written it, don't you have to pitch it in some kind of... Yeah, well, that's what I mean. I make up an outline for the pitch. Oh, you did. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I usually do, a, I have an outline before I pitch it, saying, I think this is what I'll do, and then I do whatever the heck I want to do. Right. <laughs> because I can't, you know, you got to go where the spirit moves you. And so that's how I, that's how I play that game. But, um, so you had just a Good. loose outline, and you said... Let's see what happens, baby. Let's see. Let's see what happens today. Let's well, see yeah. I mean, I today. I totally agree that I don't I don't write to um, 
tell anyone what I know. Right. What right do I know? Cover. I write to see what I think. Yeah, that's huh? right. Yeah, huh. that's what it is. That's what it is. It's so funny, but that is what it is. You don't. I, I remember uh, I did this book we're writing called No One Is Broken, and I thought it was about how I taught my son. I know it was about how he taught me that no one is broken, but I thought, I know he taught me that but I don't know how he taught me that. So I'm going to write the book to figure, but I knew he had taught me that. I knew the experience of being his father had taught me that. And so uh, I thought I got to write the book to find out, but I knew it was true. And then I had to write to find out why it was true. You know, that was how I would discover it. Does that make sense? No processing through language. Yeah. Is such an incredible capacity we have as human beings. It's a good one. It's a good one. I learned, I learned a lot of that through a writing workshop that I was very uh, fortunate to be a member of uh, that Maxine Hong Kingston led for veterans. Were you a veteran? I'm a veteran of the war against the war. You're a veteran of the war against the war? Yeah, That's and a lot, and there was a moment in the writing sangha, the veterans writing sangha, where it was like, who's this guy? He's not in a battalion. He's not in a regiment. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Okay, but you were there. But you. but she she emphasized. But it's also a a, a mind. It was a mind. It's a it's a mindfulness practice group as well as a writing group. Both. Right. Or it's the same. And the idea of processing through language in order to heal trauma. Yep. And to transform suffering. Yep. I know why that uh, is. Yeah, that that Cause it's the first writing story. workshop where I'm like, oh, this is what it is. Yeah, trauma is a story. Trauma is just a story, and the language lets you tell the right, the correct, the story. The trauma is a bat is is you telling a story about the past that is not in service to life or the truth of God or anything. And the language lets you tell the story correctly as it was meant right. to be, as it actually was. Even yeah. if you, and, and one way to do that I've learned is if you just tell the story five times. Okay. Five right ways? And then the second time, let's hear a little more details about the other characters. Right. And by the fourth draft, you're realizing, Oh my God, I, what I thought was terrible. And then I'm, you, you've let you've let go of, yeah. and you're seeing this kind of larger picture, yeah. in which everybody's kind of suffering. That's right. right. That's right. When I teach memoir writing, the first lesson I have to tell my students is there are no villains in memoir, and so whatever mm. would happen, you can't, and you're not allowed to talk about what people think, other people think, or why right. other people did what they did. You don't get right. to assign motivation, and so much of our suffering, I believe, in relating to other people, is believing we knew their motivation. Like, well, he did that because he didn't love me. He did that because yeah. I was a bad, whatever. Yeah, when knows? you strip away the motivation, it changes the way uh, you describe actions. It's very transformative, and it's all just in service, supposedly, to a story. Yeah, to a story. Well, oh, look at Gary. Look, at me. we've talked our way almost to the end of this show. I feel <laughs> like we're just getting started. Like we're I feel just like we scratched the surface, Bill. Oh, barely, barely. But uh, mm. actually, I'm going to let this go just a touch longer. If our listeners will uh, indulge me and hopefully. Okay, I will pause, breathe, and smile. There you go. So I, the first thing I want to know, and maybe if, I don't know if you can answer this in less than a half hour, but how, like, there's what you knew about Zen and yourself prior to writing this book and what you thought you wanted to say. But for me, I go in and write a book and then I learn something, even if it's about my own life, something about what I thought I was going to write about change. Can you think of the biggest thing that changed 
about this subject matter that changed as you wrote it, after you had written it, how you had changed in relation to it? No, because I've just only stopped after five years. So you've just, I'm you still just don't even know beginning what it is. to realize um, the ways that it's healed and transformed and what that is is like. Right. So you can't even process, you don't even know what, you just know it's done something, but you don't know, even know what it is yet. Well, I'm starting to notice it as I'm <laughs> being in the world with it. Yeah. In relation to myself, yeah. um, I guess if nothing else, it's the sense that I can write this way, which I hadn't ah. before. Right. Kind of like the beginning of Conrad's, you know, Negro the Narcissus, where the guy pilots his first ship. Uh-huh. And so I would like this, to write more books this way, yeah. Ah, uh, so you've discovered but a new not, book. Not, but, the, but to answer your to answer your deep question, no, I still don't know. Okay, well, that's fine. Next. That's honest. That's honest. <laughs> okay, well then that leads. Okay, leads me to one more question. But before we get there, if people want to know about Gary Gawk, hmm. uh, like do I do, and give, <laughs> do you what? Well, did you give lectures or teach workshops or any of that kind of stuff? Um, you can okay find you out don't. what I'm doing at yeah. At GaryGock.com, which is G A R Y G A C H dot com. Okay, then you've got your list of stuff there. If people want to say this guy's fascinating, I need to, I need to go see him up close and personal. They can find out what you're doing there. Yeah, I mean, I've go been ahead. offering a free weekly practice group here in San Francisco for ten oh. years. Awesome. All right, um, I know I got some San Francisco listeners, so. You want to do a little mindfulness with Gary? I Cox? have been up there. The last time I was in Seattle was at Nalanda West. Oh, what what is it called again? Nalanda West. N A L A N D A. N A. I never had heard of it. It's a great. It's a great. It's a great resource. Oh, all right. Have to look it up. Okay. Yeah. So you travel yeah. about a bit. Yeah. Yeah. When I when called. When called. All right. So I got one more question for you, Gary. Mm-hmm. One more. I need you to finish the sentence. <laughs> We've been talking about it for 30 minutes, but I'm going to have you do it one more time. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's a perfect answer from a Zen. I don't know if you'll call yourself a Honestly. Ordained. Honestly? Yeah. Honestly, you don't know. But you keep learning. Don't you feel like you learn... Don't you feel like you're learning something, even if you can't name it? I'll, you know, it's not, not to be light about it, it's that the path itself is the goal. Right. And that on this path, writing is the teacher. Yeah. It's yeah. that there is no path to writing. Writing is the path. Yeah. I agree. It's like a cat that's, that shows you how it wants you to play with it. Huh? Right. Oh, I like it. Right. I like it. And yes. just by yeah, kind yeah. of, I mean, it's great to, I would, I would go to one of your workshops in a, in a, in a second because learning craft, <laughs> I remember once learning that Mencken, H.L. Mencken said, if you yeah. have, Two words at the end of a sentence with an and, you want to use the monosyllable at the end, so it's perseverance and faith, because and faith is an easy rhythm, rather than faith oh, and perseverance. Good. 
That's good. Well, I'm like, I'll okay, you, that's I, a good craft thing, and it works 75% yeah. of the time, except when it doesn't. Yeah, and I'll tell you something. I actually don't teach craft almost ever. I teach, I teach like, uh, I teach like uh, emotional, uh, spiritual workshops for writers disguised as craft. <laughs> In truth, uh, it's rare. Well, those are the good ones. That's that's why that's that's why I joined up to the veterans writing sangha when I was writing something that they that that we were sharing that I was writing. At one point, one of the guys said to me, "You say." At this point, when she said to you something, you felt this tremendous feeling. What was it? You just can't say you felt a tremendous feeling. No, no, you can't. And I'm looking at her and be like, you mean I've got to tell? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right? I see. And to be be vulnerable that way uh, in a a setting where it's safe, like in in a workshop, is sometimes the only way that I at least in my own life, that I was able to open up so that in future examples, I can do that myself. Right. You know, I, oh, I can see that I'm I'm covering up. But it took that confrontation with other people and feeling I was in a group where it was safe to do this. Right. That was so important. Well, that's awesome. Well, Gary, thank you for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. Oh, gosh. I know, the time is up. It's been a privilege, uh, a pleasure, and a real zen delight, Bill. Oh, good. A zen delight. That is the first time our com- my conversations have been described that way, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, I just made it I, up. Well, it's a good one. It, that's the best. It means you were inspired, you see. So the book is Pause, Breathe, Smile, available where all fine books are sold, I assume. And Wherever uh, fine books are sold, including just, Whole Foods. Ah! Oh, Perfect. <laughs> That is, oh, that's fantastic. Lucky you. All right. Well, pause, breathe, smile. Gary, thanks for being on the show. Good luck with the book. And uh, and I hope you write more books like it. Bill, I hope to so I can be a guest on your show again. Thank you for your <laughs> life. Thank you for letting me be in yours. All right. Thank you very much. Take it easy, Gary. Okay. Oh, yeah. Just keep learning, people. Just keep learning. Pause, breathe, smile. I will be... Uh, Back again next week with Adam Clayton. Oh, interesting guy. A comic writer who had not such a comic beginning to his life. Very interesting. He's written a book called Comedy Plus, or Tragedy Plus Time, which I look forward to talking to him about. In the meantime, you know, people, I want to thank my wonderful producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, R.J., as always. Thank Gary. And thank you guys for listening. If you like it, best thing to do, you know, Make a little note of it. on uh, If it's here on iTunes, you can rate it. That way other people like it. Tell the rating system you like it. That way other people who might benefit from it can find it too. That's how it works in this digital world. Yes, it does. Okay, take it easy, everybody, and we'll see you next week.